And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis in chapter number 1. The book of Genesis in chapter number 1. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it kind of, we just see words in a page. Sometimes we need to go back and use our divine imagination and actually think of the stories and try to think about what it was like. Of course, there's been many artist renditions of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the different events that occur. But a lot of times when they paint it, they see a lot of trees and a lot of greenery. But have you ever actually stopped to think, what a different type of world it probably was when God created the world perfect. Now, we know that we live in a train wreck. We live in a wreck. We live in a mess. You know, when God created the world, it was not like this. This isn't what God had originally designed. And so I'd like to take some time today as we open up Scripture and throw some science in there, and I want to take you to a wondrous place of what it was like when God first created the world. What did God intend for us as human beings to live in? And how it affected us as human beings? And I think it's going to be pretty amazing. If you wouldn't mind, let's start off in the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, and let's start right at the beginning in verse number 1. Genesis 1, 1. The Word of God says this, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made a firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven. And the second and the evening and the morning were the second day. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a strange word, an unfamiliar word that is found several times throughout this passage? Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse number six, the word firmament. Once again in, the, in verse number seven, three times the word firmament. And again in verse number eight, the word firmament. And this is going to be a key word of understanding what's going on as we explain and as we open up the idea of what was the Garden of Eden like? What was the Garden of Eden like? Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the great privilege it is to come to your house this morning. And I'm praying that as we preach a little bit of unusual message, that it would come alive in a special way, that we would see what a wise and tremendous amazing God that you are, that we could see what you had intended for us. And again, we can see what you have for us in the future as well. Lord, be with me. I don't want to preach this in myself, my own memory. Lord, you get involved. You be with every word, every thought that comes out. The best I know how I surrender myself to you. I rest myself in you. Give great understanding to these good folks out here. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I feel necessary, and forgive me for 
feeling this way, that I need to almost qualify myself before I start. The Lord has allowed me to have a science background and a, and a medical uh, schooling. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a quantum physicist. People said, what in the world is that? I can't even spell that. Uh, a physicist is someone who studies how things work, how the world works, and quantum is at its most basic level. So as a quantum physicist, I want to study how things worked at its most basic level. I wanted to see the intricacies of how things worked out. And I wanted that as even as a kid. So as you can tell, I was a nerd. <laughs> the Lord allowed me the opportunity to uh, study laboratory science with, with uh, highlights into biochemistry and microbiology. I was able to work in that career field for about 15 years. And the reason why I say this is to qualify myself a little bit, that I'm not just a preacher who read this in the book and said this would be fun to preach. But instead, I want to say that not only is this biblical, it's scientific, and I have an understanding of the science behind it, that it's just not just, you know, something good to hear, but that it actually works, that this is valid stuff. And so when we open up the Bible... I want to tell you once again, I just don't want any surprises. I believe the Bible. I believe it from cover to cover. I believe the God created the world in six literal days. You say, you're a scientist, do you believe that? I do. I believe the Bible's true and I believe it proves itself over and over and over. Because of that, I don't believe that Genesis is a mythology. I don't believe it's a fairy tale. I believe it's an historical event. And I believe that science backs it up. And in fact, God, who knows what He's doing and what He is saying, is using specific words to help us have an understanding. Notice again what God does on the second day of creation. Genesis in chapter number 1. And notice with me in verse number 6. Genesis 1 in verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters... From the waters. Now, isn't that an unusual saying that God said, I'm going to put a firmament, whatever this thing is, and it's going to divide the waters from the waters. It's going to go on and say in verse number uh, seven, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. In the book of Second Peter, chapter number 3, we don't have to turn there, but it talks about this firmament, talking about the world standing in the water and out of the water. What do we mean by this? Well, what we mean by this is that we believe that there was a canopy of water vapor surrounding the entire world, almost like a force field, like a bubble type thing. In fact, uh, just so you know that this isn't just imagination, NASA, when they've gone up and flown space shuttle missiles, uh, missions they've actually tested the atmosphere and there's remnants of this still up in the sky so again we have proof that there was something that's there now it's not in the full degree as it was but there was something still there but we believe surrounding the entire world was what we call a vapor canopy a sphere surrounding the world made out of water vapor now what this does is it creates a different type of world for example, one of the first things that it does is it blocks UV light. It blocks UV light. Now, um, we understand today we, we live in a world that's a little bit more conscious of science, right? We have UV sunglasses. We got UV sunscreen. Why do we have that UV light, that ultraviolet uh, light protection? Well, the reason is, is because the sun produces these UV rays. How many of you have ever had an x-ray before? All right. 
Now, what they do in an x-ray is what they do is they take you to the coldest room in the hospital and get you on a metal table. And, and then what they'll do is if you have an arm, uh, arm, broken arm or suspected broken arm, they'll put it there. And the technician runs into the other side of the room and you say, hey, where are you going? They're like, I'm going to go take a picture. Well, why are you back there? They said, because I need protection. Why? Well, what the, is happening is that they're going to shoot your arm full of little tiny microscopic holes. And what happens is a reverse image comes on the other side. So literally, when they take an x-ray, they're shooting little holes. Now, getting one or two, it's no big deal. But if you're exposed to it all the time, that causes more problems. Now, the sun, part of the rays that it produces is ultraviolet light, x-rays. And while we're sitting here today, and while you go outside, you're being shot full of holes from the sun. It's no big deal. You don't notice it, but you're getting shot full of holes right now. Now, what happens is that your body has to repair itself. And after constant repairing, what happens is it starts to wear down. And this is what causes aging. That it's the sun's fault that you're aging. Your body is falling apart. The constant repairing, the constant fixing. Now, before the, um, the flood... They had a canopy of water, and part of what it would do, this water vapor thing, is that it would reflect and bounce away those harmful UV light rays, the X-rays, the UV light. And what would happen is you would live in a world where, because of the lack of the UV light deteriorating your body, it's a place where you will not grow old very quickly. This is why you see in the book of Genesis... um, I'll answer questions and stuff maybe a little bit later and stuff. But this is why you see in the book of Genesis why people live 900 years old. It's because they don't have to compete with the UV light. As soon as the flood is over and this canopy falls, you see the age levels drop drastically. And it's because of this UV light uh, is being bounced away. And it's a place where you don't get old. You won't deteriorate. In fact, there was a lot of people in the Bible that didn't even think about having kids till they were at least in their 200s. How would you like to wait that long? Wait till you're in your 200s when you're finally mature enough to have kids. <laughs> Good. So it, because of this canopy, it actually blocked UV light and it caused a world where you didn't have to age at least as rapidly. Another thing that this canopy would do as it would surround the, the earth is that it would stabilize the temperature. That what would happen, that from pole to equator to pole, you would have an equal uh, uh, temperature. That means when you woke up in the morning, it was 75 degrees. And at the hottest part of the day, it was 75 degrees. So in the morning, it was 70 degrees. In the the day, it was 75 day after day after day without the seasons. On a day like this, being outside, doesn't 70 sound really nice? But that's how it was. There was, wasn't seasons and the, the temperature was, was spread out from pole to equator to pole. 70 degrees in the morning, 75 degrees at night. So what happened is you lived in a world that had, had a place where you didn't grow old. It was a place where you had a perfect atmosphere. It was a perfect place to live. Comfortable temperatures. Oh, by the way, it didn't rain either. So you didn't have to worry about rain or snow or lake effect or anything like that. The plants were watered with a dew system, but that's a different topic. Now, something else amazing that happened because of this canopy 
is that what it would do is it would cause double oxygen and double air pressure. Double oxygen and double air pressure. Now, inside of your body, you have the blood vessels. And inside of your blood, you have special cells called red blood cells. Inside of the red blood cells, they have a special iron protein called hemoglobin. Now, the hemoglobin's job in the red blood cells is to carry the oxygen molecules from when you breathe in from your lungs to the rest of your body. Now, a normal hemoglobin can carry four oxygen molecules and carry it to the rest of your body. But what would happen with double oxygen and double air pressure is that it would saturate the hemoglobin and saturate your blood full of oxygen that just taking a breath would make you feel good. It'd be such a place with a double oxygen and double air pressure is that it would cause you to be so energetic you could literally run 200 miles without getting tired. How many of you like to run 200 miles without getting tired? How many of you just like to run? <laughs> you know, it's a type of place where your body would be so energized and so full of energy that you could go run and that you could enjoy. Hey, you didn't have to worry about driving to grandma's house. You could run there. It was just such a, a, a place with the oxygen. Now, something else that this would do with the double oxygen and double air pressure is that what it would do is it would cause rapid healing. If you were to break your arm or if you were to get a deep cut, let's just say for now, let's say that you had a regular cut. I had a cat scratch me uh, the other day. You know how long a regular cut today, just a normal cut, it takes 7 to 14 days to heal. But... In the Garden of Eden conditions, if you broke a bone or if you had a deep laceration, it would heal overnight. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place? It's a place where you won't grow old. It's a place with perfect atmosphere. It's a place with rapid healing. It's a place where you had the energy and you could do what you wanted to do. That sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? That's only the tip of the iceberg. Let me show your attention back to the book of Genesis, if you wouldn't mind. And the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, and as we're talking about the firmament, let's define our terms a little bit more. Genesis, chapter number 1, and verse number 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Now, this word firmament comes from the old Hebrew word, which is called rakia. Now, today, we try to use synonyms instead of definitions. For example, if I say I want to jog down the aisle, someone say, what does that mean? Well, he means he ran. You know, jogging and running is a little bit different, but we use a synonym, but we don't use full definitions. Words usually have a lot fuller definition. The word firmament comes from the Hebrew word rakia. If you're writing things down, I guess I'll spell it for you. R-A-Q-I-A, R-A-Q-I-A, rakia. And this word means that it, <laughs> its definition is a compressed or pounded out archway of heaven in thin metal sheets. That's a pretty specific definition, isn't it? It means a compressed or pounded out, stretched out archway of heaven in thin metal sheets. Now someone was, might say, preacher, all right. It sounded good, but now you want to say that the world is surrounded in thin metal sheets? All right, we'll have to draw the line somewhere. Well, let's explain the science of it, if you would, more. Now, this stuff is backed up by Lewis, uh, Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratories, who, before the atomic bomb, did all these uh, uh, studies 
on the hydrogen in order to try to figure out how to get things to work. And this is the, some of the results that they found out. That when we um, look at the canopy the surrounding the earth, it's made out of water vapor. Water is made out of two elements, H2O, two hydrogen and one oxygen. Now, whenever you get uh, oxygen and you turn it into super cold conditions, all it does is turn blue. It's pretty boring. It just turns blue. But hydrogen, when you get it in super cold conditions, turns semi-metallic. There's where we get our thin metal sheets. That God has taken water vapor and he's able to turn it so this hydrogen develops metallic properties. And these metallic properties, uh, we're going to describe them, do some wonderful things. What type of things does hydrogen turn into? Uh, What type of metallic properties? It turns crystalline. It turns transparent. It turns fiber optic. It turns superconductive, ferromagnetic. And then it turns pink. That was a lot of big words. We're going to describe them in just a second. And this is going to tie into some of the things of the Bible. First of all, let's take crystalline and transparent. That hydrogen, when it turns in super cold conditions, turns crystalline and it turns transparent. Do you know that any metal, the more pure it is, becomes transparent? Hey, if you're Bible believers, you should know that because when we get to heaven, we're going to walk on transparent streets of gold, aren't we? Pure gold. The purer metal is, the more transparent it is. And so NASA believes the same thing. Have you ever seen an astronaut's visor? They actually coat an astronaut's visor with gold. And the purpose is, is when you go out to outer space, you don't have an atmosphere to protect you from the harmful rays. Remember, we had talked about those harmful rays. Without any protection, those harmful rays would kill a person out in space instantly because there would be no protection. So they have their space suit, but they have to be able to see, so they coat it full of gold. Now, what this gold does is, first of all, it reflects the radiation, so it doesn't um, affect, um, doesn't fry them. A second thing it does is it regulates temperature inside of that spacesuit. Hey, isn't that an important thing to have a regulated temperature? You don't fry inside of... Another thing is it allows them to see clearly without any false color glare. Even though it's a gold tint, it just enhances the colors because of that metal protecting it. Now, this is important too because the Bible says the same thing. In Job chapter 38 verse 7, it says that at the beginning of creation, the stars sang. Did you know that stars sing? That stars are are just produce lights like our sun is a star. And not only does it produce visible light, it also produces x-rays and all that other stuff. It also in the electromagnetic frequency produces sound. The Kepler mission of NASA, they actually keep a recording of 500 different stars. And what happens is, the amazing thing, is that all of these stars are in harmony. That means if you play those recordings together, they're in harmony with each other. They match each other. Now, what would happen in the Garden of Eden conditions is because the hydrogen at super cold conditions turns crystalline and ferromagnetic, crystalline says how it's latticed together and how it will stay together. And then the transparent is what happens is it makes it so that way you could see the stars and hear them. You see, stars come in different colors as well. And before the flood, when you would look at night at the stars, they wouldn't just be little yellow balls of twinkles. You would see blue stars. 
and green stars and red stars and purple stars. And you would see all of them in their different colors and they would be enhanced. In addition, those sound frequencies would go through this um, canopy and enhance them. And so it would almost be like you're surrounded by beautiful, relaxing music all day. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? In addition, the vibrations of the star's uh, sound waves would come through that you could actually feel what time it was. Hey, there's no need for a watch. You could just feel what time it was. Doesn't that sound kind of amazing? It's a whole lot different world than we have today. I mean, let me recap so far. It's a world where you'll never grow old. It's a world when you wake up in the morning, 70 degrees, hottest part of the day, 75. It's a place where you have so much energy and you could run overnight. It's a place where the stars sing to you and you could see them all in their different beautiful colors. Hey, the Bible says that the stars sing. We kind of discount that verse because they don't do that today. But God created the universe with music. And He created the earth with music. What a wonderful thing. Now, another thing that this can, uh, that hydrogen does when it turns super cold is that it develops metallic properties. It turns um, crystalline and transparent. Another thing it does is it turns fiber optic. Fiber optic. Now, fiber optics is a special type of technology we have where you could shine a light through a fiber optic cable. You could tie the fiber optic cable into a knot and still shine the light on the other side. What it does is as you energize one side, it carries that energy through the other part of it. Notice with me in the book of Genesis in chapter number 1. This is good stuff too. Genesis chapter 1 and notice verse number 14. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now God talks about that he made that there's great light during the day and a lesser light at night. Now some people interpret this to be the sun and the moon. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the moon during the day? Yes, we have. Has there been times at night that you haven't seen the moon? Yes. Well, remember, we're talking about the conditions of the earth before the flood. What would happen with this biblical canopy that has these semi-metallic properties because of hydrogen at super cold temperatures is that as the rays of the sun would hit the canopy, it would carry the energy to the other side of the earth. So during the day, it would be a beautiful day. And at the At night, it would never get completely dark, but what happened, it would be kind of like a magnetic pink, like a dull evening pink at night. You know what would happen? It's enough for you to go to sleep, but it's a place where you'll never have to fear the dark. Isn't that a wonderful place? There's a lot of people, I won't ask you to raise your hand because some adults may feel like they may have to, but it's a place where you'll never have to be scared of the dark because it never got completely dark. It was enough for you to go to sleep, but God had made a world so that way you didn't have to have any fear. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
that God had made a perfect world. He had made a world where you wouldn't grow old. He made a world so you could heal overnight and have energy. He made a world with a perfect temperature. He made a world where you'd see the stars and hear the music and see it all. He made a world so you wouldn't have to fear the dark and fear the night. What else was this world like? Well, we said that the semi-metallic properties, that they become crystalline and transparent. They become fiber optic. But something else about hydrogen when it turns super cold is that it turns superconductive and ferromagnetic. Superconductive and ferromagnetic. Basically, those are big complicated science things that says how the canopy floats above it. Literally, what happens ice when you get it in super cold temperature layers out and becomes magnetic. And the earth, of course, has a magnetic field. So what would happen is that this magnetic field would actually float or this canopy would float over the earth. You say, really? Well, in Lawrence Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratories, when they began to study hydrogen, they noticed that as they got it cold, it becomes super, um, it would uh, layer out and become magnetic. And one of the scientists, as he began to play with it, actually had a magnet and actually floated a big chunk of ice over it. And he said, hey, look, I can move it and the thing would go with me. He got so excited, he wanted to go see his scientist buddies and go show them this cool thing that he found. And he went out the door and went smack into someone out in the hallway. And they said, oh, man, we've got to pick up the stuff. And he looked and he said, where's the ice at? And so he's holding the magnet and they're looking and looking. That ice was actually floating on the bottom. Not touching, but floating over that, but with a magnet still caught in its field, just hanging there. This is explained scientifically. It's called the Meisner effect. And it explains how the canopy would stay up there instead of falling down. It would actually float because it's magnetic in these principles as well. That's kind of cool. Another thing that hydrogen does, not only does it become crystalline and transparent, fiber optic, it becomes superconductive and ferromagnetic, It also turns pink. It turns pink. Now, this canopy would set off a certain frequency of a pink color, and this certain frequency, when it's used in our body, gives us a special chemical called norepinephrine, and it relaxes us. You see, you have nerve and nerve endings. You have a nerve with a nerve ending, and there's a little space in between. And a little jolt of bioelectricity, he has to go between them to get signals. And sometimes if you had a stress day or something's going on, that what happens is that there's more of a distance and it takes more electricity, more of a charge to get the signals across. We used to have a saying that I have frayed nerves that you got on my last nerve. That actually is a scientific thing. And that what happens with this certain frequency of pink, that it puts this biochemical called norepinephrine and it fills in that gap and allows it so it takes less bioelectric energy to get that signal across. They prove it with studies of weightlifters, those deadlifter guys, you know, the ones who lift up the weights and they pick it up and they lift and they can lift massive amounts. They show these guys these certain frequencies of pink and these guys who are used to lifting a certain weight, they'll go and pick it up and they can't. They become weaker. And the reason is, is because their body becomes naturally relaxed. You see, this is a type of environment where just the atmosphere, just looking outside, naturally relaxes you. 
You can be at calm. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be all panicked and frizzled and pulling out your hair. God made a world we can enjoy and relax in. That's pretty amazing. There's a guy in Waco, Texas, who, who did some studies on this, and he got pink sunglasses. I know some of you men may not wear the pink sunglasses, but they give it to truckers, and they drive all over during the day, and with these pink sunglasses, they still feel refreshed at the end of the day after driving all day. And these special glasses, I keep saying, maybe I'm going to get me a pink, pair of pink sunglasses. You know, who knows how our culture will think of that today, but, you know, I'd rather be relaxed, right? Good. So we have these things about about um, the earth and how it was like. Now, we talked about hydrogen and we talked about what it did, that the conditions of the earth, it was a place where you would never grow old. After a thousand years, it's pretty much <laughs> you never grow old. It's a place where you would heal overnight, a place where you had energy, a place with a perfect temperature of 70 degrees to 75 degrees, a, a place where you would hear the stars sing. It's a place... Oh, it sounds a wonderful place where you, ne- have, where you wouldn't have to fear the dark. It's a place where you'd feel naturally relaxed. Someone would say, all right, preacher, I've listened to this. Can this really happen? Are, is this just science fiction? Well, let me give you some real life examples of people who applied these principles. First of all, let me introduce you to Dr. Kimori, who worked at Keio University in Tokyo. Now, like most Japanese people, he liked to grow things. His problem is that he worked in the basement. And so what he did in order to grow his tomato plant, he had a little cherry tomato plant. What he did is he ran fiber optic cables from the top, and he ran ran it down to his basement lab and so he could shine the light. What this did is it gave filtered light but also protected it from the UV light as well. And what happened as this tomato plant began to grow, at the end of two years, it grew 900 tomatoes. At the end of six years, this tomato plant was now 30 feet tall. They had to move it to its own room. And at the end of six years, 30 feet tall, it grew 5,000 tomatoes. At the end of 12 years, it grew 20,000 baseball size cherry tomatoes. All he did was just apply a little bit of the principles of what the Garden of Eden was like. That was just a part of it. And this tomato plant, they actually had pictures on it. You could do research on it. This was a big deal. Let me give you another Real life illustration. Some of you might remember Jessa McClure in uh, Midland, Texas in the 80s. I was in Texas at that time and I remember watching the rescue. Basically, this little girl, I think she was two years old, did the split down an eight-inch pipe. Some of you couldn't even imagine trying to get into an eight-inch pipe. And, and she was stuck in this for, for two and a half days. The major, major uh, rescue, they had fire department and everything trying to get her out. And uh, when they pulled her out, because she had done the splits, the, there was a lack of circulation in her arm and her legs, and they were black because of the lack of circulation. And the doctors were really afraid that they were going to have to amputate her legs off and, and that she would be handicapped. Before they could do that, though, someone said, here, let's try this. Let's put her in a hyperbolic chamber or a hyperbaric chamber. A hyperbaric chamber is a chamber they originally used for divers, but what they do is they put double oxygen and double air pressure. 
And within a matter of hours, pink began to go through her legs, and they figured that they were just going to have to amputate the bottom part of her legs. They kept her in there, and after a couple more hours, pink began to flow as blood began to go to the rest of her body, and they just figured they'd have to amputate her foot. They kept her in there some more, and they said, well, pink began to go. Maybe we're just going to have to amputate her toes. At the very end of all of the hyperbaric chamber um, treatments, they only had to amputate a small portion of her pinky toe on her right foot. Why? Because they did the conditions of the the, uh, earth. She's now happily married. She now has two kids, I think, after all these years. She's grown up. And it was because of hyperbaric chamber. You know that there's a lot of people who believe in hyperbaric chambers? Ask the Dallas Cowboys. They have one. Hey, if you're paying a guy a couple million dollars a year to go throw a football down the field, you don't want him sitting on the sidelines. They put their sports people. I, I forgot how many sports teams, uh, 50 to 100 sports team, had their own hyperbaric chamber to actually put their stars into it so they would heal if they get injured. Uh, What they're doing is they're just uh, producing these double oxygen, double air pressure that the flood had beforehand. You see, God is such a wise God. Now, I talked to you a little bit about what the Garden of Eden was like. Then I said that there's some real life illustrations of what it was like. Someone may ask the question now, well, that sounds great, but obviously we don't live in that type of world. Who cares? I'm glad you asked. You see... The next thing on God's calendar is what we call the rapture, where Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds to call all those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're going to disappear. The Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, that's one one thousandth of a second, just that quickly, and he calls us home. After that, we have seven years of tribulation where God is once again dealing with the Jewish people to try to bring them to himself. At the end of the seven years, God is coming back, and he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And the amazing thing is that God said he's going to restore Garden of Eden conditions. You know that we're going to experience those same conditions? You say, well, how do you know it's going to be the same way? Well, may I give you some Bible verses uh, that says what the Garden of Eden will be like? I'm just going to rapid fire these. In fact, turn with me if you wouldn't mind. Let me show you the Millennium Kingdom. Uh, The book of Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to do it almost like a sing-along, Revelation 20. I'm going to read part of these verses to you, and I'm going to pause. And at that pause, I want you to read the next word. So Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20. We started at the beginning of the book. Let's go to the ending of the book. And let's see what God has in mind towards the very end of our earth. Notice with me Revelation 20 and notice with me verse number 1. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him. How long? thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until how long thousand years shall be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed for a little season and I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads nor in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ how long? but the rest of the dead lived not again until how long? how long? 
were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part of the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. How long? And when the, th- when how long? Were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and it goes on. You know, there's a bunch of times that God says a thousand years. You want to know how long I think God meant when he said that? I meant he said a thousand years. I think God is smart enough to say what he means and means what he says. And I believe that there's a a thousand year reign where Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. And he's going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions. Let me explain some passages where it says that the same things that I told you are going to be in the Millennium Kingdom. In Revelation 20 and and Isaiah 65, the Bible says there'll be a place where we'll live a thousand years. In Isaiah chapter 11, it explains the Millennial Kingdom is going to be a place with a perfect temperature and a perfect atmosphere. In the book of Isaiah chapter 35, it says it's going to be a place with rapid healing. That's what the Bible says. Isn't it matching what I've told you already? In Isaiah 30, it says that it will be a place where creation will praise God. And it also will be a place where the night will be as bright as the day. Hey, that's what the Bible says, that the night's going to be as bright as the day. The Bible talks about that it's a place where everyone will be calm and relaxed. There will be a place with no more wars and strife. Micah 4, Zephaniah 2, Zechariah 14. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You see, the Bible talks about the Millennium Kingdom, and it gives the same things that I just told you scientifically about what the Garden of Eden was like. That we get to experience it for ourselves as long as you've accepted Jesus Christ as your perfect Savior. You see, the whole thing about the Garden of Eden is that it was a perfect place. You know what ruined the Garden of Eden? One little sin. Because of that, God is not going to allow heaven to be ruined. You know, heaven's a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Heaven's a place with no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. But God has to protect heaven and he cannot allow anything that is not perfect to go into that perfect place. That bodes a problem for us. Do you know that I'm a pastor, but I've told a lie? How many of you have ever told a lie before? You're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Because we've all told lies, right? You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, but I've disobeyed my folks. How many of you have ever disobeyed your folks before? You know, by our own admission, we are not perfect. And you can't set something that's not perfect and put it in a perfect place. It would ruin it. That's why the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect. But we've all sinned, every single one of us, and we've missed that perfection. Now, just using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect into a perfect place. It would ruin it. The Bible says that same thing in Romans 6.23, where he says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, a sin is anything we've done wrong against God. We've already admitted that we're sinners, that we've sinned. We've said we've all told lies. We've said we've all disobeyed our folks. The Bible says, for the wages 
of sin is death. A wage is something we earn. For example, when we go to work, because we work, we earn money. That's called a wage or a payment. That's what I've earned for the time I put in. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here and we had a casket here, we would say that person is dead because their body is there, but their soul is separated out. The Bible talks, they gives that definition in the book of James. Now, when we die, there's only two places to go, a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. Man, unfortunately, goes to hell by default because we deserve to be separated from God. Someone said, Preacher, you've just given all but bad news right now. I know. But let me tell you what the good news is. God finished off that verse in Romans 6, 23, where he said, For the wages of sin is death, but... Oh, I'm thankful for that word, but... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God wants us to go to heaven so badly that He's given it away. That Jesus, who was God, robed Himself in flesh and dwelt on this earth. And He died paying the price for you and I to pay that wage when He died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried on a borrowed tomb and on the third day He rose again. When He arose again, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was indeed God and it proved that God was satisfied with that payment. Now all that is left for us to receive that free gift. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I like to give gifts out. Maybe I give you an illustration. Mr. Smith, if I was to give you a gift and say this is your gift, what must you do to make that yours? Just take it, right? You didn't have to uh, mow my lawn for it, did you? You didn't have to pay me money for it, did you? You didn't have to be nice to me. All you had to do was receive it, right? The same thing's true about going to, he- going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we should do. But those things don't get us to heaven. What does get us to heaven is that Jesus died for me. And that I personally asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And he promised he would do it. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So all we have to do is ask and he'll save us. Save us from what? Save us from the penalty we owe God of hell. He's going to save us. He's going to make sure we don't have to go there. The most famous Bible verse in all the world. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you know you could put your name in that verse? For example, we could put Josh's name, all right? For God so loved Josh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that if Josh shall believe in him, Josh should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, who's that verse to? It's to you, right? And that if you would just believe in Jesus, God promised and God can't lie, that you would have everlasting life, eternal life. How long is that? Is everlasting life a week? How long is it? Is it a year? It's eternal. God promised eternal life. 
that we can't lose it, we can't stop. He promised it if we would just ask. Because he did all the work. I don't have to do anything. Do you know that even a prayer doesn't save you? Jesus saves you. All we do when we pray is we're just giving Jesus permission to take my price, to pay my wage, to pay my punishment. And all we do is ask and we just allow him and he will. Isn't that simple? You know, if you accept Jesus as your savior, you get to enjoy the benefits of the millennium kingdom and get to see for yourself what the Garden of Eden conditions were like. Can you imagine living a thousand years in a beautiful place? A thousand years where you won't grow old. A thousand years where you wake up in the morning and it's not 29 below zero wind chill factor. It's a place with peace. It is a place where God has created music and you can enjoy it all day and be relaxed. It's a place where you could heal overnight, where you would have energy. Oh, what a wonderful place. And there's so much more to it. I just gave you just enough to put into a message now. We have such a wise, amazing God. You know, this world is not the best we're going to see if we're Christians. This world is a horrible, wrecked place. But God wants to experience wants us to experience eternal uh, the millennium kingdom and Garden of Eden conditions. He wants us to see firsthand what it would be like. Do you know that there are more passages in the Bible devoted to the millennium kingdom than any other subject? Why? Because God wants us to understand what we get to see and experience for ourselves. He wants us to look forward to that wonderful thing. There are very little passages about heaven. And the reason why is because heaven's so far, we couldn't even understand it. He couldn't give us the words to comprehend it. But we can understand a repaired world. We can understand a world reset to Garden of Eden conditions that for a thousand years, if you've accepted Christ, you'll get to enjoy. So that bodes a quick question. Are you 100% sure? Not 99, not 50, not 25, not almost. Are you 100% sure that you're going there? Are you 100% sure that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and washed it away? Let me tell you, you can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life have eternal life you know i'm a scientist by nature i love that word no i like knowledge i like heaven to the assurity that this is true and the bible says you can know not because i tell you so but because god told you so that if you would just believe what god said he promised and he can't lie that He would forgive you of your sins. He would purge you from the sins. He would take it away from you. That you could be clean. The Bible says in Isaiah, white as snow. But not only be forgiven, but He also promised you eternity future. He also promised you to rule and reign with Him for a thousand years in God's millennium kingdom. So the question is, are you going? Maybe I'll ask a quick second question. If you know for sure you're going, who are you bringing with you? Who are you bringing with you? Have you ever told someone how they can know for sure that their sins are forgiven? 
Who are you going to see up in heaven because you invited them to church? Because you told them, you gave them a track, you told them what the Bible says, you introduced the preacher, you did whatever it took. Who's going with you? I'd hate to go to that perfect place and find out one of my friends or family didn't make it. Who are you bringing with you? Maybe some of you need to say, hey, this is a wonderful thing, and I hope you think so, that you think it's wonderful enough that you want some of your friends and family to go with you. So first of all, are you going? Second of all, who are you bringing with you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I know that this is a little bit unusual type message, but Lord, I'm asking that it just strikes awe into us and that we go, wow, what a God. Lord, we know that we don't live in these conditions. We know that we lived in a wrecked world. But God, you have so much more planned for us. Lord, we're looking forward to being that time. I'm asking that you would search all of our hearts and that you would help us to know that we know that we know. Maybe someone in here doesn't know for sure. Let me tell you that today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. That God wants you to have this settled right now. Lord, I'm asking that you would help people to be honest with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed.